The Financial Advice for All podcast is intended to be used for informational purposes only and does not provide accounting, tax, investment, legal, or other professional advice. Before making any decision or taking any action, you should consult an independent and appropriately qualified professional. You can review our full terms of use at financialadviceforall.com forward slash terms of use. I'm Alexis. And I'm Michael. And we're your hosts for Financial Advice for All, a podcast about personal finance. We're living in an age of technological transformation. All around us, tech companies are developing new approaches to old problems, trying to make our lives a little easier, sometimes creating new problems along the way. In the financial services industry, fintech or financial technology is growing rapidly, and there's no reason to expect things to slow down anytime soon. For all the people who find that it's a little bit stressful right now because they find change is just so rapid, I would suggest that this may be the slowest it'll ever be again in their lifetime. That was Curtis Finley. We spoke to him about how advances in financial technologies can shape an investor's experience. Curtis has been working across Canada within the financial services industry for more than 40 years. He has been an advisor, a branch manager, and a provincial trading officer, just to name a few. Curtis has his certified financial planner designation and he's currently teaching continuing education courses for financial advisors at a business college in Niagara. As a longtime member of Abacus, he stays involved by chairing the Abacus Technology Task Force. He also chairs the Investment Industry Subcommittee, and he is a member of the Law, Regulatory, and Policy Committee. We will also be playing clips of Chadi Habib, Executive Vice President of Information Technology at Desjardins. Chadi spoke about the role of technology in the finance industry at the 2018 Advocates Symposium. Hi, Curtis. Thanks for joining us today. What is the purpose of the Advocates Technology Task Force? What are you guys hoping to get from that, or, or why was it arranged in the first place? We created it originally because we, we recognized that our industry is changing and shifting, and that there really wasn't anyone giving advice to advisors about what new emerging technologies might do and what it might mean for them. And so I did a request out to all the members of Abacus uh, just to see if there was anybody sort of like me who had a real interest in this. And let me tell you, I was absolutely shocked with the quality of the people who came back. We have people who are running fintech companies, uh, folks who... um, are very, very involved in technology. Many of them have advanced uh, degrees in technology. They also happen to be members of Abacus, and they also happen to be advisors for a living. But having said that, uh, their full-time job, if you look at the business card, is they're usually an executive or perhaps even the owner of a fintech company. And so we've got some really advanced people. Uh, When I look around at some of the industry committees that have spawned since we created ours, Um, I wouldn't trade our group for any of them. Shout out to the Advocates Technology Task Force. Yeah, yeah. They're they're a really strong group, and believe me, it's an honor to chair it. And and again, for the people from the public who are listening, uh, all the members of Advocates are all volunteers, and uh, they're all there because they want to be, because it's the right thing to do. Uh, No one's doing it for an extra dollar fifty in the jeans or anything like that. Hi, Curtis. Thank you so much for joining us on our show today. What are your thoughts on the impact artificial intelligence will have on personal finance? 
I think artificial intelligence is going to have a huge impact in the next few years in terms of improving the tools that financial advisors use with clients and those tools that clients use themselves. Just to give you a, a sense of what I mean when I say artificial intelligence, um, quite often we'll hear these days about uh, robo-advisors and, and that term. Um, that's basically algorithms and mathematical calculations in the background. And they do have, have a place and they, they do some terrific things themselves. They, they make certain there's quality control and processing speed. They're very efficient. And so I, I'm not down on, on that. But when we start talking about AI, we're now elevating the conversation into more of a predictive tool, something that can be used to predict the future. And that's the advantage of AI over something you know, like an like a, uh, algorithm. So what are some ways that advisors are, are making use of that or can make use of um, those technologies? What we're trying to do is help people to make better use of their money at all times. Financial advisors just can't be there every time you pull your wallet out to make a decision. There's such things as wearables um, where people will, will either wear a tool or perhaps you may have heard the term digital wallet. Uh, it could be a, something like a wallet that sits in a purse or, or pants for, for guys. And these tools will potentially replace uh, the use of credit cards, uh, potentially could replace um, pulling out a, a debit card when you go to pay for uh, something in a store. But better than that, they can categorize any expenditure that you've got. They can uh, provide reporting to the consumer about, okay, here's your budget, here's how you're spending your money. In other words, helping coach people on making better financial decisions. Are these actually in development or are these just good ideas? These things are, are not figments of anyone's uh, imagination. They're quite real. <laughs> and, and I think they'll have a huge impact uh, for consumers in the next little while. Another thing I want to mention, Michael, is facial recognition. And this software uh, has been really advancing in leaps and bounds over the next little while. We're going to see it start to be used much more in the world of finance. Um, but I'll give you an example to how trustworthy it's becoming. There are car manufacturers now that are uh, putting facial recognition into cars. And these tools can be accurate enough for the car to ask the driver, are you getting tired? Should you pull over to the side of the road? Um, so when car manufacturers and all the legalities associated with that are getting the blessing from their lawyers, you can imagine these devices are becoming pretty accurate. The black box of the car could, you know, could prove, you know, maybe at just before an accident, whether somebody was maybe looking at their telephone or, you know, maybe they were too busy singing their favorite song. <laughs> We've talked a lot about um, how this may impact financial advisors, but there is a whole other part to this, which is the insurance world, right? And how this yes. could impact how people qualify for insurance or, or what insurance they qualify for. Do you have any insight into what's coming forward in that area? So down in the States, um, what they've done is used artificial intelligence now to uh, replace, if you will, some of the back office work inside an insurance company. So the days of firing up a actuarial department and calculating what the premiums will be on a new hypothetical product that they want to test those days are gone. The computer basically can do that extremely quickly. 
And so they are talking about customized life insurance policies per person. And you don't have to be a wealthy person. It could be anybody who you know responds to how they want their insurance policy to be, what the premium would want to be. They can actually calculate right to the penny uh, premiums now for each and every little policy that's issued. Well, I was just wondering if you see like a downside to that at all. Do you see like it, what if that negatively impacts the customer because now they are getting higher insurance rates based on um, health issues that maybe they didn't know they had or that sort of thing? I, no, I don't think that they're forecasting it to be more expensive. I think if anything, the efficiencies are expected to bring the premium down. What sort of worst case scenarios or, or dystopian scenarios do you see? Or are those just overblown? That somehow the artificial intelligence analysis of our behaviors and of our biological patterns and of things that we may not have control over will seep into these different areas of uh, insurance concern and finance concern and maybe lock us out of uh, systems, lock us out of our car, lock us out of our account. Are there, do you have any concerns that the information will go too far, too fast, and have negative repercussions both on our privacy and on our practices? Oh, I think there, there's lots of reason to be concerned. Um, at some point, though, just like the current systems, you, we have to trust that compliance departments and the legal departments are going to keep tabs of potential outcomes. Technology will make whoever's using it more efficient, and that would include criminals. And so I, I think there's no question that we're going to have to figure out in Canada um, how, how to control who's exactly out there uh, pushing the buttons, if you will, to create the technology. What in your life would you like to see more automated or more like what financial technologies do you think you would embrace if they were readily available? If I could have a wish list, the one thing I'd really like us to get to is, is a much more efficient form of financial planning. Uh, currently, financial advisors are gathering data or inputting it into a computer or, you know, figuring out what the financial plan looks like, going back to the consumer, getting some adjustments, going back, running the report again, sitting down for a second time, uh, getting comfort, comfortable with the, the financial plan, the retirement plan, the state plan, whatever it is we're specifically working on, and, and then starting to talk about what products can be used to, to help um, meet the objectives within the plan. Uh, I think it would be in everyone's best interest to get to the point where we're using uh, voice-activated financial planning software that's frankly free, and consumers can simply do this in advance and then go to their advisor for advice and, and start the conversation at a more mature level where we're walking in and saying, okay, here's the numbers I've run. Let's take a look at this. There are some firms that are now beginning to introduce this. So this is not just a wish list. It's actually being worked on. Um, be a bit of an adjustment for people who write financial plans for a living. But the best thing about that will be they'll be able to use their talents to give the advice rather than focusing on the gathering of the data and inputting it into a computer. So the idea is that most of the legwork will be done in advance through these technologies so that the advisor can start further ahead in the process? Exactly. Exactly. So the consumer would walk into the advisor's office, sit down and say, um, did you get a chance to look on your computer? I sent over to you my financial plan. 
and the advisor would say, yeah, you know, I took a look at it. Here's the deficiencies I see in, in you meeting your objectives. What do you think about this? And they would start right in on that part of the, of the process rather than spending many, many hours um, talking about, you know, like how much money do you spend on entertainment? How much money? I mean, all of this, this gathering of data that if you're going to write a full financial plan for someone, you really do need, you know, it's, it's the old computer comment, garbage in, garbage out. I would like to see us automate that process. I, I really do think this is the next generation where we're going to end up going to. Not too long ago, Google got into some trouble because they had um, an automated resume search or something that was discriminating against women, right? They weren't hiring enough women because their algorithms were screening them out of the process. So they shut down their program. Um, do you think that there's a risk that bias is going to be built into or reflected in some of the artificial intelligence systems? Or is it more likely that the systems will be able to remove bias because they can ignore, for example, what a person looks like or how they're dressed? Or what's, what's really the risk when it comes to the question of bias in these uh, algorithms concerning big data? Is it going to amplify the problem or what do you think? It can amplify, but I can tell you there are specialists out there who specialize in artificial intelligence ethics, and uh, these good folks are generally consulting with companies. And I, I do believe, uh, for the very example you gave, um, there will be companies that are very concerned about not wanting to embed any kind of uh, cultural or otherwise uh, type of bias in, into their into their planning of, of their technology. Uh, but but you're absolutely correct. There is the possibility of this happening, um, but it is also possible to avoid it. And in fact, if you if you do a good job with the technology, then you can avoid any of the human elements also having bias, right? So you can you can bring about some improvement using technology. Um, Chadi Habib, who's the executive vice president of information technology at Desjardins, said that they don't believe that. Uh, they don't believe in 100% virtual or automated advice. We don't believe in that. Millennials have told us that. Y-Gens have told us that. Baby boomers have told us that. They have all said the following. There are moments in our lives where we want to have human interaction. And that even though 94% of the interactions they have don't involve human beings, um, there is a hunger for the human interaction among the clients because they see that as the value-added portion of the advice. In our industry, I can tell you, statistic, 94% of interactions of all of our 7 million members and customers today do not involve a human being. Okay. Now, those are not the value-added interactions because the rest, they want to interact with somebody. They want to interact with a human being on a specific topic. But why, what's, to, what's to make us think that there won't be 100% automated advice? Is that in technical, technologically impossible, psychologically impossible? What's, what is keeping 100% automation off the table for financial advice and personal finance? Oh, that's a great question, Michael. I, I think uh, right now we're talking about you know, FinTech 1.0 and 2.0. But when we start talking about will human beings ever be out of the process, um, I, I, the old expression "never say never" I think is probably uh, you know apropos here, because we don't know what uh, fintech 7.0 and 8.0 will be like. 
But today, uh, certainly artificial intelligence that we use today and, and the robotics that we're involved with really don't have the ability at this stage yet to, to have uh, emotional ties to the consumer uh, to truly, you know, feel what they feel and, and to ask deeper and deeper and deeper questions um, and, and do a really good job of drawing that type of information out yet. So I, I would say there's very little odds of it in, you know, circa, you know, 2019. Um, however, I, I would say realistically, somewhere, somewhere, somebody's got something on a blackboard where they're thinking that they're going to replace humans. Um, you, you know, let me, I guess, put it this way. I, I understand his his views, and I, I would say I agree wholeheartedly with today. However, I will also mention that the financial statements of many of the, the companies in Canada literally show billions of dollars being invested in technology every year, and they're spending it every year. And I think it's reasonable to expect that the the people who are investing that money in those institutions would expect some kind of a payback for all this money being invested. And I think that's probably more than just efficiencies. So, um, yeah, I guess I would say never say never to that end. What about Bitcoin and these other um, cryptocurrencies? Do they are they worth thinking about for ordinary? Uh, ordinary Canadians just going about their regular lives, are they going to begin to play an increasing role in our day-to-day personal finance? Or is that also just a matter of some sort of speculative bubble for a very risky investor? Well, there's a lot of opinions out there on Bitcoin. Um, And so the most recent ones I've been reading are that governments are going to begin to issue cryptocurrencies and, and take control of them rather than have it be uh, sort of <laughs> created by the entrepreneur. There's actually a website right out there right now. And if you wanted to create your own Bitcoin, you could do it yourself. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't cost you more than probably $25 to issue your own coin. Of course, it would be absolutely worthless unless somebody else is willing to pay for it. Um, so today, um, I would say there's a lot of people who have invested in it and they won't want to hear this. But having said that, I I, I would suggest to you that it's really up in the air in terms of whether they'll be around with any value in the future. Uh, There are uh, organizations that are actually uh, brokerage firms that are asking securities commissions for the right to put Bitcoin on financial statements of consumers. And so there are a number of people who have the exact opposite view of what I'm repeating, um, but have taken a look at quite a bit of the research and it does appear like governments are beginning to have a sober second thought about uh, currencies. Um, cryptos have been used, unfortunately, by a lot of criminal elements. And, you know, it's just one of those things where they're going to have to try to get control of how this money is, is being utilized. Cryptocurrency is kind of a byproduct, by the way, of Bitcoin, um, which again is a byproduct of, of blockchain. And I, I think if we are going to be a real value here, we might want to talk a little bit about blockchain, which is a, a process. And I, I can see that this is going to have some really exciting uh, um, opportunities created for investors in the very near future. Chadi Habib was saying that um, whenever he goes to an event where somebody's pitching for funding, if they mention something about blockchain, it's almost guaranteed they'll get double the funding they're asking for. 
If you want to maximize your funding for your startup, add AI or blockchain at the end, and you will double your financing, essentially. <laughs> So Chris, Alexis and I went up to him and said that we want to launch our own blockchain backed Bitcoin, uh, but we didn't know what we were talking about. And he just, <laughs> so what, yeah. what is, what is blockchain? How might it matter for uh, personal finance? Yeah. Blockchain can, sure. Blockchain can be described a lot of ways, but let me, let me explain it to you this way, um, which is a very rudimentary explanation. If there's a, a, a series of steps in a transaction before that transaction occurs, all of the parties involved sign contracts agreeing that they will instantaneously do their portion of the transaction in order to bring it, the entire uh, group or block of transactions to completion instantly. So, for example, if you were um, buying a mutual fund and you're the consumer and you write a check, Today, that check has to go to the bank. It has to clear. The money has to be sent over to the mutual fund company that has to acquire the units. And then those units have to be sent over to the mutual fund dealer and get posted on, onto the books and records of the dealer. All of this takes two days in today's world. However, with blockchain, where all the parties involved have agreed in advance, it will instantaneously be done. By the time you get up and shake the hand of your financial advisor, your units already are in your account and it's done. And this has been tested now. Uh, NASDAQ has done about half of their trades on the NASDAQ over the last couple of years using blockchain. And it has been tested now by the Ontario Securities Commission. Very favorable, I understand, is, is the report that I read. Uh, so it would appear like we're very close to launching this device in Canada. More than likely, I'm, I'm going to guess, first of all, in the funds industry, that, that would make logical sense because they value at the end of each day rather than each second like a stock would. And then once that's proven, it will probably come into all the entire realm of securities. So what you're saying is that people can get their money faster in ordinary transactions, like instead of waiting for a check to clear for five days or something to take two days to get from here to there, they sign the paper and the money's there or it's gone, depending on which side of the transaction they're on. Yeah. If you're in a redemption mode, exactly. That's what I'm talking about. If you're in a purchase mode and the opposite will be true, you buy your wow. property, you've got it instantly. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've probably all seen the ads, but I'll, you know, I'll just walk you through exactly what happened. So you walk into a coffee shop today, you buy a cup of coffee, uh, right at the till it instantly orders more, more coffee and overseas in another continent, they begin to package and send out coffee to deliver to that retail outlet. And so all of that is a step of probably 40 or 50 people involved in the entire process. And all of that is done through blockchain. So yeah, exciting times for sure. And this technology is certainly going to be part of the financial industry for sure. Alexis, anything yeah. you'd like to add uh, for the moment? I think the bit about blockchain and Bitcoin is actually very interesting. And I know it, it doesn't really align with AI as much, but people are curious about it. Lots of people invested a lot of money into those programs. So I think to be at the very least aware of what's going on at this point is going to be helpful for a lot of people. Yeah, definitely. Uh, going it's, back it's interesting to hear, sorry, I've just 
I don't mean to interrupt you, but it's interesting to hear that the different trajectories of these things that Bitcoin by itself might not take off, but cryptocurrencies may get government support and blockchain if it's being used by uh, NASDAQ, then you know that's not just somebody's garage down the block. Those are pretty serious implementations. The other thing I just want to add um, quickly is we're not only talking about artificial intelligence, we're interested in the broad theme of financial technologies. And all of this sounds like it is one or another form of financial technology that's either here or on its way, ready to change uh, the way we're doing things. Exactly right. A lot of consumers don't really know about our industry and some of the changes we've had over the last five to 10 years. We've had you know, law changes, regulatory changes. We've had just an upheaval of, of tasks that have all been added to the plate of the financial advisor. So the advisor who had 200 clients a few years ago still has 200 clients, but today they just have many more tasks on each file that they have to do. This makes for a rather inefficient financial advisor and therefore, you know, elevating the necessity of having to have a certain size client uh, to take into their practice simply because of the costs of maintaining a file. So technology can be a wonderful thing to, to solve this problem because it can, it can, first of all, automate a number of these tasks. It can make certain that you pass audits because it's very efficient. And therefore, we can reduce down the costs associated with the financial advisor practice and thereby allow financial advice to be given to people with less sized account, perhaps people who are first starting out in life. And so there, there's some real advantages for a financial advisor practice in using technology. Well, it's great to hear you're optimistic overall about what this means for advisors and for ordinary investors. Yeah, I think that would summarize it. I, I think we're we're early days, um, but I, I can tell you that I think we're heading in the right direction. There's uh, Canada is a really intriguing place. Uh, there's a number of hot spots around Canada for artificial intelligence development and technology and fintech. Uh, we have some of the leading organizations um, in our country who are really leaders uh, globally. Uh, Digital Finance Institute out of Vancouver, for example, are attracting uh, companies to come work in Canada, and they're they're making great headway in educating a lot of people about uh, digital finance. Um, there's uh, one organization I'll just mention really quickly because you were talking about ethical issues. Uh, there's a, a a nonprofit called AI for All, and AI for All basically is trying to make certain that artificial intelligence and the applications that are similar and associated with that will come into the masses and won't harm the public. And so there's sort of that conscious, if you will, of technology. These types of endeavors are coming into the, into the fourplex. Uh, we're having accounting firms and legal firms focusing very much on technology and trying to help their clients as they move forward. Because it, it isn't just the financial industry, it's virtually every industry is being impacted about this. The ability to shift and change rapidly, uh, that's going to be accelerating definitely. And for all the people who find that it's a little bit stressful right now because they find change is just so rapid, I would suggest that this may be the slowest it'll ever be again in their lifetime. Do you have any specific advice for the consumer? So we talk a lot about um, how how this might impact 
advisors and, and how this might impact insurance providers. But as a consumer, what if you're not super tech savvy and you're now entering this world where everything is online and you're concerned about um, how, do, how to work with an advisor or, or what if you don't understand the programs efficiently or, or you don't understand the programs um, well enough that you feel like you can make some good decisions? There's a couple of questions that always I always suggest that people ask if they have someone they can ask the question to. First of all is, where is my data going to be stored? And that's actually a very important question. Um, if you have your data inputted somewhere here in Canada, but actually stored down, for example, in the States or in another country, wherever the data is stored is the jurisdiction that will determine the sharing of that data. And so it's not where the keystrokes occur. And it's really important that people understand that. It's, it's where the data is held. So um, that might mean that they, uh, the people who are collecting your data are, in fact, legally able to sell that data to someone else. They might mean they're able to just give it to someone else. And so it's very important uh, to always ask that question if you can. And, and I should reassure the public that in Canada, for example, um, securities uh, firms, uh, insurance companies, they have regulators, they're constantly being asked, where's your data held? So this is something that regulators in Canada are just on top of for certain. Now, however, when we start using third-party tools that are being brought into businesses and used, it's definitely a good question to ask. The second thing is you just want to take a look, if you can, to ask, okay, who, who actually owns this, this uh, software that I'm using? Is this something your firm is just using? Is this a third-party vendor that you guys lease? Or do you guys own this company? Or did you develop this software? Like, what exactly is behind this? To get a feel for, uh, is this just a logo with a brand name, uh, but it's really your company? Or is this something that uh, maybe somebody in the garage manufactured? And you just, want, you just want to get a sense of exactly what it is. So what you're saying is that it's, it's okay for consumers to ask questions. It's okay to show up and, and ask for additional details and information. And there are a couple key questions you should be asking, like where is my information stored? Uh, who owns this program? And is there a sale of my information? Is my information kept private? How, did, like, how would you go about asking that? Because I think that is a big concern for a lot of people. I know even with online banking, some people are concerned about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if, if you're sitting in, in front of a financial advisor in, in our industry in Canada, you can ask all of those questions and they should know the answers off the top of their head. They're very common questions. And by the way, they're common questions already. Uh, even before we get to the more advanced uh, emerging technologies, but e even something like uh, inputting data into a financial planning software system five years ago, people would be asking me, okay, you know, who, where is this data going? Are you holding it in your office or is that being uploaded to somewhere else? You know, so, so I think it's absolutely fair game to ask those questions and most people do and consumers shouldn't be shy about asking them at all. All right, my last question is this. Alexis may have more to add after. How far away are we from me just being able to say, okay, Google, how much room do I have in my tax-free savings account? Basic information that I want to know, voice interaction, not something too futuristic, but something very convenient. 
We're not far away from it. Um, the legalities that are in the background stopping that from occurring would be, of course, um, you're asking Google or whoever uh, a question, and they're going to have to have access to your accounts in order to answer. And so the, the real question is, um, does the supplier of the technology want to be liable for access to that information and if something gets pirated away or whatever, right? So, um, but the, the technical ability to do it is already there. Um, so we're not far at all. It's just a question about, I'm certain that, you know, the various lawyers involved are, are trying to anticipate what can go wrong, what the liability might be for them to offer that. Alexis? I did have one last question, and I'd like to know how you got so involved in AI and in technology. I know you sit on the Advocacy Technology Task Force, you're involved in a couple other boards. Um, so what makes this so interesting for you, and at what point did you really start to get involved in this? You know, I was probably about seven or eight years ago, and I, I don't even recall exactly what the trigger event was, other than the fact that I've always been interested and sort of intrigued by technology. Um, and one day I just, I, I remember beginning to go through some of the online uh, TED Talks and, you know, various things like Singularity University and just following through FinTech online and just watching videos. And, and I would encourage people to take a look. Uh, there's a lot you can go online and watch. And there's some uh, really interesting things. And, and of course, we can't cover all of the the details by any means in, in a phone conversation. But uh, for anyone who has any interest in it, um, just do a search uh, 2019 FinTech and things like that, or artificial intelligence in finance, those kinds of search uh, words, and you'll be very surprised what pops up. This, the challenge for this for me has been that there's just so much material. It's, it's absolutely numbing. <laughs> Well, the good news from our perspective is that we're still early in the process of making these shows. So I hope this is a topic. In fact, I'm sure it is that we'll be returning to again uh, more than once. And it'd sure. be great to talk to you again uh, when that comes up. Great. That's awesome. Well, thanks, Thank guys. You. Yeah, right. talk to you again. Bye bye. This has been the Financial Advice for All podcast, a podcast about managing your personal finances. If you liked it, please subscribe or rate us on wherever you listen to your podcasts. And on our Financial Advice for All website, under podcasts, we have a survey tool. And if there's something you'd really like to hear us talk about, then put it in there. And we receive those notices, and we can definitely try and schedule them in for this year. This podcast has been brought to you by Advocus. Thank you for listening.